We typically have a certain picture in our minds, don't we? We have a picture of somebody who's smart, tough, maybe tactically sound, maybe tall and lean and strong, ready for action. But in the Bible, actually, we see unlikely heroes. If you've ever read the book of Judges, you may be familiar with the time in Israel's history when they were in bondage and enslaved to a country called Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to God and and begged him to save them, to deliver them. Surely there was a great general, a skilled soldier who could lead the way, but instead God found a guy named Gideon. Gideon was the youngest of a nowhere family, and he was far from courageous. In fact, when God found him, he was hiding inside a wine press trying to thresh wheat. Now, I don't have time to explain to you the dynamics of that situation, but it really wasn't a good idea. But Gideon was afraid. But God took Gideon and 300 other courageous men And he delivered Israel from an army of 100,000. You can read it in the book of Judges. When we get to 1 Samuel, Israel is in bondage and enslaved again, this time by the nation of the Philistines. And the Philistines had a great champion, a great warrior. You probably know his name. His name was Goliath. We read that Goliath was almost 10 feet tall. He was so big that the staff of his spear was like a chunk cut off a telephone pole. And he wandered up and down the valley taunting the Israelites and challenging them to send someone out to fight him. And there was no one who would fight him. Until a young guy, probably 15, 16 years old, who was used to being on the backside of the desert with the sheep, wandered in. His name was David. And he took it as a personal affront that Goliath was insulting the Israelites and insulting their God. And so he picked up five stones and took his sling and went out onto the battlefield and killed Goliath and delivered the Israelites from their bondage. If we look at Gideon and David, one thing we realize that they had in common was that it was not their physical characteristics that distinguished them and gave them victory. It was the fact that God had chosen them and given them his strengthening grace. And we see that same dynamic when we look at the Christmas story. Israel is in bondage again. This time it's Rome. They're looking for a hero. They're looking for deliverance. They're looking for someone powerful, someone connected, someone influential that could rally the people to stand against the most powerful empire in the world. But today, when we look at this passage in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see that the story of Israel's deliverance starts in a very different place. It starts in a little nowhere town with a young woman that has nothing going for her. Nothing, that is, except for the matchless grace of God. 
And when we look at Mary together this morning and see what the Scripture has to see about her, we are going to see that she is a wonderful example of humility and complete submission to God. In fact, I would suggest to you that we're going to see that Mary is a hero, though not in the typical sense. We're going to see what God can do through someone who has yielded to Him. We're going to see that God can do the impossible. And we're going to see that all of the things that the world values are worthless in the economy of God. We will see that God's grace is for the humble. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to jump right into the middle of it, just like we did last week with Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to see Luke's account of the moment when Mary learns of God's plan for her, and by extension, his plan for us. So Luke chapter 1, scroll down through till you get to verse 26, and I'll read some verses here for you. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, some of this we already know. Some of it you know because there are familiar Christmas passages that you've read before. Some of you are familiar with some of this information because you were here last week, and we read some of it and learned some of it from Matthew chapter 1. That is that there is this young woman, she is a virgin, she is betrothed. We talked about that a little bit last week. We find out who she is though, her name is Mary. And as we think about who Mary was here, it's difficult to imagine that God could have found a more unlikely person in all of Israel for what he was going to do. You see, many of you probably have heard people say that Mary was likely a teenager, well, I'm going to tell you that I did a little bit of digging, and it's possible that Mary was as young as 12 or 13 years old. That was the typical age of betrothal in this culture. She could have been as young as 12 or 13. Now, it says that she was from the town of Galilee, or the city of Galilee, in a region called Nazareth. Now, if we were to put that in our terms, we might say, you know, she was from the town of West Paris in the county of Oxford. That's really what's going on here. And if we were to take a little survey of the nation of Israel and we were to think about the region of Nazareth, we would realize that Nazareth was one of the poorest regions in the entire nation of Israel. Most of the people in the region of Nazareth were poor. They were uneducated. If you were from Nazareth, you were, in our vernacular, from the wrong side of the tracks. So why? Why would God choose Mary? There were, there were thousands and thousands of young ladies in the nation of Israel at this time. In fact, about 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote this. He said, God could have chosen the high priest Caiaphas' daughter. She was rich, she was cultured, she was waited on by servants, and she lived in a palace. He could have chosen anyone, but he chose Mary. Why was that? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that 
I believe this was part of God's plan to begin to show the humility and the humiliation of Jesus Christ. God could have chosen anywhere for Jesus to be born. He could have chosen any young lady to do the miracle that he was about to do in her body. But he wanted to begin to show that Jesus Christ was going to be a different kind of deliverer. How many people remember what the angel told Joseph last week? Well, he didn't tell him last week, but we talked about it last week. It was quite a bit earlier than that when he told him. But last week we looked at the angel's message to Joseph. Do you remember what he said? He said, Joseph, call his name Jesus. Why? Because what did Jesus mean? The name Jesus it said, because he's going to save his people from their sins. And while Israel was looking for someone connected, someone powerful, someone influential, God said, that's not who I'm sending to deliver my people. I'm going to send someone humble, someone who's willing to humiliate himself, which, of course, we see later that Jesus was willing to do. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says he was willing to submit himself to death on a cross. Because that's what needed to be done. Remember, my friends, Israel did not need to be saved from Rome. They needed to be saved from what? Their sin. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Okay. Now, I know I say this a lot, but I'm afraid that most of you don't remember it, so I just keep repeating it. When you read your Bible, put yourself in there. Stick yourself in the story and try to imagine what it is, because if you, well, not if you're looking on a screen, but if you're looking on one of these, this is a book, specifically this is a Bible. It has pages you can turn and you can look things up and, and read them off the page. It doesn't glow, it doesn't have a nightlight, I know, but they've been around for a long time and they still work. But if you open one of these and you look at it and you read and you turn to Luke chapter 1 and you read it, it's kind of 2D, isn't it? It's just words on a page. And sometimes it's hard for us to see exactly what's going on here. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to get the atmosphere of what is happening. So place yourself in the story at this moment. For about half of you, this will be much more difficult. Imagine you're a 12 or 13-year-old girl. And you're sitting there minding your own business. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to you. And remember, we talked about this last week. Angels are not the chubby little guys with the harps. The angels that the Bible talks about are mighty creatures. They're fearsome creatures, often with a difficult and scary message. And the angel appears to this 12- or 13-year-old girl, and this is what... I tend to see the humor in things. I don't know if you do or not. Looking out at you right now, I'm guessing that most of you see no humor in anything. That's what I'm reading coming back at me. But if you do, I'm looking at this, 
And here's this little girl, 12 or 13 years old. She's in her very humble home in the poorest part of town, in the poorest region of the nation of Israel. She has no education. She probably thinks that she really has no prospects. All of a sudden, a mighty angel appears, and what does he say? Greetings, O favored one. Well, how are you, most blessed of all people? I guarantee you that Mary does not feel blessed in this moment, in her humble abode, in her humble situation. I am absolutely certain and would bet you good money that no one had ever looked at this little girl and said, Greetings, O favored one, you lucky, lucky girl. No one had ever said anything like that to her before. When we look at the phrase, O favored one, we find something very, very interesting. We realize that it literally means one who is a recipient of God's grace. And so when Gabriel comes to Mary, he's not saying, you lucky, lucky girl. He is looking at Mary and he is saying, Mary, you have received the grace of God. Now we're going to see in a minute that Mary loves God and she is committed to him and clearly, as we will note in a moment, she has great faith. But no one, not even any of the Jews, would have looked at Mary and said, this young lady is endowed with the grace of God. They would not have said that about her. She was a nobody. So what I want you to notice, and I need you to hang on to it, because it's the key to everything that's going to happen here in the next few minutes. What I want you to notice is that she was blessed not because of who she was, and not because of what she had, and not because of where she lived, but she was blessed because God chose her. Okay? You get that? Very important. Very important for you too, okay? She was blessed because God chose her. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment and show you and explain to you Make sure that you notice that Mary was a recipient of grace just like we are. There are some, there are some systems of faith, there are some churches out there who would tell you that Mary is a source of grace and that we go to Mary for grace, but that is not the case. She was a recipient of grace just like we are. She did not have grace to give to others, she needed grace. Okay? And when she got this greeting, as you might imagine, again, in the understatement of the times, she was greatly troubled by this. <laughs> she was very agitated. She was confused. She had no idea what was happening. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I want you to notice once again, uh, Gabriel says it even more directly this time, you've found favor with God. That's the same word. You have found grace with God. He has given you blessing. Now again, Imagine this young girl receiving this message. Now, Gabriel is kind of downloading a lot of information on her all at once, right? He's saying, okay, I need you to know this. You're going to be pregnant. I mean, just stop right there. Put the period. I mean, already her mind is blown, right? As we're going to see. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be great in every sense. And he is going to be the king of Israel that God promised to David hundreds and hundreds of years before. And he is going to reign for all of eternity. Now, I will say this. Even though this would have been a a shocking message for Mary. She was raised in a home where she was taught about this promise. Okay? Mary was a Jew, and she was a godly Jew, as we're going to see from her response. So she was raised and had been taught that God had promised that King David would have a successor that would be on the throne that would reign forever. She was taught that there was a Messiah that she should be waiting for, who was going to rescue Israel. She knew all of this. And she was waiting for it just like all of the other Jews who were faithful. But that this Messiah would come through her, that's the part of the story that she didn't know. That's what was shocking to her. Imagine how overwhelming all of that would have been if Gabriel had come to Mary and just said, the Messiah is coming and he's going to reign over all of Israel and sit on his father David's throne for all of eternity, she would have said what? Nobody have any idea? (laughs) She would have said, yeah, all right. This is what we've all been waiting for. Why are you telling me? Shouldn't everybody know this? But it was going to be through her. That was the part that was overwhelming. But look at her response. And this is how I know, this and some verses we're going to read in a moment, this is how I know that Mary was a godly little girl. That she loved God and that she was full of faith even at her young age. Because look at her response. Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin. How is this possible? She didn't say, wait, what? The Messiah is coming? No, that was good with her. She was waiting for that. She was ready. But she said, "How how can it be me? How can it be me? I'm a virgin. I'm not married. Now, Let's pause here for a minute because many people for hundreds and thousands of years have tried to deny the virgin birth, have tried to deny what we're talking about here this morning. 
And one of the ways that they try to deny it, that they try to explain it away, is by looking at this word, this Greek word in this passage that is translated in our English Bible, virgin. And they look at that word and they say, hey, wait a second, this word can also be used to simply describe a young married woman, or young unmarried woman, rather. Not necessarily, if you're following my train of thought here, not necessarily a young woman who has not been intimate with a man. That can just be used for a young unmarried woman. But you need to understand something here. For Mary and all devout Jewish girls, the fact that she was unmarried meant that she was a virgin. Mary was full of faith here. She was full of love for God. And she had not been with a man. What made this confusing for her, the message the angel was giving her, was that she knew that God would not want to break his law in order to accomplish this, right? I don't think this was doubt. I, I mean, I guess I, I can't tell you for sure, but I don't think this was doubt on Mary's part. I don't think it was unbelief on Mary's part. I think she was sincerely asking, how is this possible, right? How is it going to happen? Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, this question is still asked today, the question that Mary asked, how is this possible? Okay, how is it possible? We understand how this happens. We explain it to, their, to our children when they become the appropriate age. This is how babies are born. How is this possible? But actually the answer is very, very simple. If you believe in the power of God. The physical body of Jesus Christ was conceived in a miraculous, creative act by the power of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> That's the answer to the question. How is this possible? Now, the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' human body was conceived in Mary's womb to preserve his holiness. He could not have been conceived any other way. But to be a man, he needed to be born of a woman. And so the virgin birth preserves the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, which is essential to our salvation. It was a miracle. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, and this is the sixth month with her 
who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. So, so Gabriel gives Mary a little bit more information here. He gives her another sign that this is going to happen. And the sign was that Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Now Elizabeth was a relative of Mary's. We believe she was a cousin of some ilk. I don't know if she was a second cousin once removed or whatever it was. But she was a cousin. She was in the family. And she had been barren her whole life. And we don't know exactly how old Elizabeth was at this point. And maybe it's better for all of those of us who are old to not know, other than the fact that Gabriel says she's in her old age. And earlier in the chapter, when we read about Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, it says they were both old. So let's just, let's just leave that with the Lord. She was old, okay? She wasn't having children. She had never been able to have children, and now she's past the time when even if she could have had children, that she could have children, so she couldn't have children. It was over. But she's pregnant. Six months pregnant, in fact. And what does Gabriel remind Mary and us of here? Did you see it in verse number 37? Did you see it? Did you see it? Nothing is impossible with God. He can, by his power, cause a virgin to conceive. He can, by his power, cause an elderly woman to conceive. He can, by his power, do anything that he purposes to do. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I am the servant of the Lord. You know what Mary was literally saying there? I am the Lord's slave. Here I am. Let it be. Let it become. Let it happen the way you wish, God. In this moment, this is, this is incredible to me, we don't have the subtext because all we have is, is the literal words of Scripture reading for us here, to be read for us here, but in my mind I'm just thinking about the incredible thing that's happening here for this young, young girl to hear this message and to say, let it be to me as you wish, God. Do what you wish. She took God at his word. And then later in the chapter, and I'm going to just read this for you quickly, she wrote a song. She wrote a song to express her faith and her response to God's message. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I want you to hear this this morning, folks. I think Mary is a hero of faith. She's a hero. But she's not holy. She's not holy. 
Notice what she says. My spirit rejoices in God. Who, in verse 47? In God, my Savior. Somehow, in the young mind of this girl, does she not only by faith accept this message that God is giving to her through Gabriel, but she also at the same moment realizes that she needs the redemption that this child is going to bring just as much as everyone else. She's just a girl who loved and trusted God. Notice what she says. You've looked on the humble estate of your servant. She proclaims her lowliness. She proclaims her unworthiness. She proclaims her undeservingness. She knows it. Now, some people have looked at that phrase, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And some people say, make whole doctrines out of that. And well, that's why we worship Mary and that's why we should pray to Mary. And that's, you, you, you miss the point if you say that because you're not reading the whole verse. Remember what blessed means. It means having been a recipient of God's grace. All generations will call me a recipient of God's grace. Now keep reading verse 49. For because he who is mighty has done great things and holy is his name. When we look back at Mary, we should call her blessed. We call her recipient of God's grace. Why? Because of the amazing things that God did through her. She praises and magnifies God. Mary should not be venerated. Even in this moment, she knew it was not about her. It was about God. Verse 50, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She praises the strength and the power of God. She says, he lifts the humble and he humbles the proud. And he has shown with the miracle of the virgin birth that he never forgets his people. And I tell you something that you probably already know but that you need to be reminded of. God's grace is for the humble. God's grace is for the humble. Are you willing to be his servant? Are you willing to submit to him and to his will, to give up control, to, to live for God no matter what people think, to do right even if it means suffering, to say, I place myself in your hands, God? Can I, can I just direct your attention back? Did you notice that Mary didn't object? Think about what she was saying yes to. She was saying yes to the humiliation of a pregnancy out of wedlock. You might say, well, wait, thousands of women do that all the time now. We've removed the stigma of that. But in Mary's culture, that was huge, the humiliation. 
She was saying yes to be branded as an adulterer. She was saying yes to, at best, losing her husband, at worst, being killed. But she didn't ask for an easier assignment. She humbled herself and she trusted God for the impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Is there an impossible thing in your life? You need to understand that that there's no sin that he cannot forgive. There's no relationship that he cannot restore. There's no physical need that he cannot heal. There's no financial need that he cannot meet. There's no ministry that he cannot bless. There's no sinner that he cannot save. He's the God of the virgin birth. He can forgive, restore, heal, bless anything in you that needs it. Because our God is the God of the impossible. Do you believe that? If you believe it, if you say you believe it, are you you willing to act on it? To do what you need to do? To humble yourself? To set aside your self-reliance? To set aside your self-directed thoughts? To place your hands, yourself in his hands fully and truly? To the God who can do anything? My friends, the virgin birth was essential to God's plan of redemption. We could not be saved without the birth of this child, holy because of his immaculate and perfect and holy conception. But the virgin birth speaks to us of more than that. Even so, in every moment of our lives, and that is simply this, that God can do anything that he wishes to do. Nothing is beyond the realm of possibility in your life. This morning, I want you to take that as a challenge and a comfort. Nothing is impossible with our God. Would you stand with us? We're going to close our service this morning by singing a song of praise to the one who does the impossible the one who does deserves all the glory and honor. When Jesus-